Folks, welcome to one more edition of Politics and Random, Berto Willis. I got started about 30 to 45 seconds too late because my beautiful daughter decided she was going to make coffee for me and I wanted to make sure and get the coffee. Love my baby. Anyhow, let's get busy, let's get busy, let's get busy. I have a long interview, so I'm going to get into Rudnan stuff right away. But beforehand, I want to say welcome on board, Michael Rudnan, the first one in the, in the chat, as well as our wonderful, beautiful Yvette Avery Herod. Hello, Yvette. How are you doing today? We have a great interview. Uh, I'm going to play that today, but let me get to Rudnan real quick. U.S. identifies more than 50 Native Americans boarding schools burial sites. I just saw that. First of its kind, study established 408 federal schools as officials say number of children who died could be in the tens of thousands. They talk about how they treated those kids. Same thing happened in Canada. They had a commission to take care of that in Canada. Michael Ronan also says, U.S. counts Indian boarding school debts for the first time but leaves many questions unanswered. The Interior Department documented more than 500 deaths of indigenous children, but it's far from a complete count. It's good. I interviewed the, um, uh, the Secretary of the Interior who is, um, who is doing this right now. I don't remember her name. Oh, boy, I'm getting old. I don't remember her name right now. Maybe Ronan will have it in his piece. Anyway. I can't read the whole thing because I got to get to the, sh to the um, interview. Uh, thank you, Rudnan, for doing that. Uh, let's see, Eric Hayes says the great results of our local library. That's for another time. Paul Fleming, welcome aboard. Bruce Pollard, welcome aboard. Did I miss anybody before I get busy? Let's see, let's see, let's see. I think I have all those that have chimed into the chat. Bridge FCP, como estas mi corazón? Welcome aboard. Okay, I'm going to go to the interview, then I'll be right back. But it's a fairly long interview, and that's the reason why I want to go ahead and get it started right away. So let's get what again? We're going to get busy. With us today is Dr. Andrew Bard Smookler, PhD, a prize-winning author, former Democratic candidate for Congress in Virginia's very rich in Andua Valley, former talk radio host, summa cum laude, graduate of Harvard University, PhD award, awarded with distinction in a program specially created to accommodate its original theory explaining how civilizations developed and a frequent columnist in newspapers throughout the United States of America. It is my honor, Andy, to have you with Politics Done Right. How are you doing today? I'm doing okay. I'm looking forward to talking with you. Well, before we even get started, I want to first commend you on that speech that made it all over Daily Coast, etc., for somebody who understood the dire straits that the country is in right now and was able to tell the truth about the parties, period. How are you doing today? Okay. And, you know, uh, I first started raising the alarm, well, in some ways back in the 90s, but I didn't see the magnitude of the, what was coming on the right. But starting in 2004, I started saying, this is not normal, what's happening on the right. Something is taking over, which we got to be. And I've spent my, I've been full time on that. But people uh, for a long time thought I was being alarmist because uh, they, uh, liberals were very slow to recognize that this wasn't politics as usual. And so I, uh, I had a lot of friends who uh, once the, uh, the thing blossomed forth in its full toxicity with the, the Trump presidency, they say, I mean, it's nice to have people say you are right, but uh, it's not very much fun to watch to be right when the, 
when something so dark is coming on. What is ironic is that um, I, I re-listened to, because I saw your stuff at Daily Coast, I'm a featured writer at Daily Coast, or had been a featured writer at Daily Coast for some time, and I saw your piece at Daily Coast, and I re-listened to it today before I, I came on to interview you, and what I found interesting is in as much as you were you were forward looking and you could see what was going on with the Republican Party, which you stated specifically that it's not the party of the, pa- of the past Republican Party, which actually has a good history relative to civil rights in the 60s, etc. Uh, you pointed out that it, wa- that, it, that it wasn't the same party. And ironically, it's so much worse as far as the consequences upon America than even how you expressed it then. Well, this was back in, uh, we should tell our listeners that this speech that you're referring to uh, uh, was delivered uh, the night before Labor Day in 2012. Right. At a big banquet uh, in this congressional district where I live. So it, it wasn't fully, uh, blo- it wasn't fully formed. I mean, we had seen that decent Republicans, more or less like John McCain in 2008 and uh, Mitt Romney in 2012 had had to mm, deform themselves in some ways to win the nomination. We could see that uh, that between Newt Gingrich and Fox News and Rush Limbaugh and then Karl Rove that the Republican Party was becoming something quite destructive. Nonetheless, it hadn't so completely taken over the party as it has in the years since that speech. So you're right. It's gotten darker. What I like about what you're what you what you do is that um, you believe in the human story. And I want to get there a little bit later about a better human story. But before we get there, I want to touch on a few topics of the day. First of all, um, where where do you see us going uh, as a country uh, with the, with us being so close to a Republicans turning us into a fascist state if 2022's result is what some expect it to be? Well, I'm very worried about it. Um, I've I've been following world events and American events closely since 1956, um, which you know tells you a little bit about how old I am and also how young I was when I started being interested. So I've seen enough history and studied enough history to know that we don't know what's going to happen. But it was a very close call in the 2020 election. I mean, the the results are clear. Biden won. But just like in 2016, if you could shift, you know, a fairly finite number of votes in a 40,000 votes, my friend. In fact, the the, uh, Biden won the Electoral College by less than what Hillary Clinton lost the Electoral College. Oh, I thought it was pretty much the same. But anyway, I'll defer to your to your factual knowledge about this. But in any event, we don't know what's going to happen. 
And I'm this morning, I'm writing a piece for the Democrats to use to turn around what seems to be about to happen. I mean, the futures markets and the polls are saying that the Republicans are going to get rewarded by the American people for behavior that should have been considered unthinkable by an electorate in a democracy. And it's unclear to me how much is that because they don't really understand what's going on. They don't see that this party is, has, is assaulting our constitution, our constitutional order in a multi-pronged way, or, or is it they see it, but they don't care. And I don't know what the proportions are of those two things. I want to posit something. Progressives in general, they see it, they've seen it for a long time, and they com- continue to uh, attempt to campaign in a manner that says we are going to be doing these things for our people. We're going to make sure that corporations, et cetera, do their their part to make sure that they don't control our body politic. However, I think there's a neoliberal strain in our Democratic Party that simply holds on to the status quo because they know if the train gets rolling on the progressive end, that is what most people want. That is what most people desire, that sort of equity, etc. That's that's my hunch. And I would love to hear your thoughts on that, because I, I don't think I am all that smart or know that much more than any good progressive or good Democrat out there to understand what's going on. So my contention is that these people are not dumb. They just realize that if people start to see what a true democracy looks like, we just may get a true democracy. Well, with all due respect, I have to say I don't think that's what's going on. And I'll tell I'll, um first of all, let me also say that as someone who's been studying the forces at work in uh, the human world my whole life, I realize there's a lot going on. So I don't want to say, oh, that's not happening at all. I just don't. First of all, I'll tell you why I don't think that's happening as much as you seem to be suggesting. The, the Biden's Build Back Better bill, if, if you don't mind the, all the alliteration. <laughs> um, I like the bill, by the way. Yeah. And, and what I was going to say is it is a very progressive bill. And I believe that Biden and his gang, who are quite firmly in the liberal, moderate, mainstream of the Democratic Party. I mean, he has a long history. We know he's not Bernie Sanders. Um, but he did his very best uh, trying to read how do we get this accomplished. He put forward some very progressive and I think he had uh, uh, a strong desire to be the FDR of this moment of crisis. FDR came into office at a moment uh, of the depth of the depression, and he transformed the country. Now, he also had a big majority in both houses of Congress. So he was in a very different position from Biden. But what I'm saying is, if you are right, I don't think we would have a moderate spirited Democrat pushing as hard for as progressive a piece of legislation as we had. So let me tell you what I think is going on instead. Oh, go ahead. 
I'm not hearing you. Before you comment, can you hear me now? Yes, I can. Okay, I, I don't want you to think there's more of a disagreement than there is because there's not. I agree with everything that you just said. Biden has, I, but basically, I think Biden has pretty much uh, realized or changed to some extent because I did not expect what I saw in Build Back Better. I did not expect that at all. It was much better than I expected. It is what was needed. I would have liked some other things there. But you are absolutely right that uh, that was a good, solid, progressive piece. So I want I don't want anybody okay. listening to us to think that there is that much of a, of a gap because I agree with you there. Well, let me give you my uh, something that, that feeds into my bigger picture about the human world. I believe that the problem in America is systemic, which means that not that both sides do it, because the two sides are basically opposites of each other. I don't know if you ever saw the movie The Dark Crystal. I keep on thinking in those terms because I watched it with my kids when they were growing up. But uh, uh, there are these two different sets of beings, uh, sort of of a spiritual, secular nature in this a fantasy world. And they turn out to be corresponding to each other. Uh, and that's that's uh, when I was running for Congress, I, I, I kept on saying things like, the Republicans make a fight over everything, even when the nation clearly needs for them to cooperate with the other side in order to achieve good things for the nation. And the Democrats don't fight over anything, even when the nation clearly needs for them to fight against what's taken over the other side. So I, I don't know how many times I've used that line in writing or in speeches, but what I think the, the the liberal side's problem, and I've been dealing with this. I, in 2005, I became a blogger. I had my own. Uh, I also had access to some national platforms, but mostly I had a few thousand people reading me every day. And I kept on trying to raise an alarm, <clears throat> which has to do with there's something that should be called a force that has taken over the Republican Party, that's coherent, and that is consistently spreading a pattern of what I call brokenness. And that is my definition of evil, a coherent force that consistently spreads a pattern of brokenness in the human world. And so you don't have to call it evil. And I know from years of experience that liberals don't like the word. And there are a variety of reasons I think it's a useful word because it helps us understand what we're up against. And my 2015 book is what we're up against, the destructive force that, we're, that at work in our world and how we can defeat it. That's, that's uh, the title of the, of the book. I have found two things. Liberals don't recognize what we're up against. They continue even after the Republican Party became almost obviously coming at the Democrats as if they were enemies at war against them. 
You can go back to Newt Gingrich and Rush Limbaugh. And I, I, I was doing talk radio out here in Trump country during that time, trying to, you know, hold the, the line uh, uh, against the poison that was entering into the conservative American consciousness. I would ask in my writings to liberal audiences, what do we call something that? And then I'd make a list of things, you know, like continually foments divisions between groups of Americans, uh, transfers wealth from the from average Americans, from the poor to the rich, transfers power from the weak to the poor to the mighty. Uh, a long list of things. I mean, you look at that list and it's a, it, there's a coherence to it. It's all the things that if you read the Bible or read the things which have come afterwards in, in the Judeo Christian tradition, these are the things that traditionally have been considered the hallmarks of what evil does when it works in the world. Now, my explanation of evil is not a religious one. I call it a secular understanding of the battle between good and evil. So I was continually trying to point out what it is that's at work on the right and how it's behaving. And there's a pattern there that our civilization has thought about for millennia. And we need to recognize it. And once you recognize it, you know, you gotta, you, the fight against it is necessary and it has to be conducted on the terms in which that side is back, is coming at you. It has to be, it has to be denounced. In a democracy, the way you fight it is to get the great majority of the people to repudiate the force that's doing all these destructive things. And the, and the liberal America has been, and we could talk about why that is. I've got four reasons that are part of what's gone wrong in liberal culture. So uh, let me stop you there, uh, doctor. I, 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 yeah. You said you have four uh, reasons why you think liberals behave that way. I, have, um, I, you, I don't consider all liberals, but a, a large amount of liberals behave that way. I'd like in four short sentences what those four are, because it's important that I hear those and then I want to give one one response. Very good. I'm, I, I appreciate that intervention. All right. First of all, there's an aversion to fighting. Part of it is philosophical and part of it is fear. You know, the will to fight the Ukrainians are showing influences the outcome of the battle. Second one. The way liberal culture, and I, you know, I, I'm generalizing, but, um, you know, I grew up in a liberal culture. I was educated in liberal culture. I, 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 it, there's a, a, an attitude toward moral judgment that, oh, it's a matter of opinion. It's bad to be judgmental. You know, we could, I could go further into that one if you wanted. Uh, a third one is, in a sense, it's connected with that, but, but there's a, the spiritual dimension of human experience and the spiritual aspect of what people through the millennia have had these 
ways of apprehending what's going on in their world that are not just matters of value, but value to the nth degree. There's a degree of passion that gets enlisted by spiritually transformative experiences. But in liberal culture, there's been a rejection of the validity of their existing such a dimension. That one's a little bit harder for me to develop, but I could go there. That was very clear to me. And in fact, it's going to be something that I build upon to separate liberals and progressive. But give me your fourth. Very good. I appreciate the way you, you're working here. Um, the fourth one is really big for me because my when I first had a website back in the 90s, I called it seeing things whole, putting the pieces together, seeing the connections, tracing the lines of connection that are formed in the in the network of causes and effects. When I was getting educated, there were theories of the human world. I think of Freud and Marx in particular that I encountered that were influencing a lot of the way people uh, understood what was going on in the world. There's nothing like that in the intellectual climate. Uh, uh, of our times now, in, in, where uh, of the kind of people who used to be either uh, thinking in Marxian terms or in Freudian terms, they have lost traction for some good reasons, but they've not been replaced. And I have tried to put out a way of seeing things whole. That's what my life has been devoted to. And I have discovered there's not a market. A better human story. Yes. Start, starting in 1970, I saw a really big piece. And my whole life story has unfolded from what I saw uh, one day in 1970, uh, including that's how I got my PhD, including my first book and all that. There is not. So if you don't see things whole, if you just see things in terms of one damn thing after another, what's in today's newspaper, Roe versus Wade, or or uh, the use of the filibuster, or whatever the thing is, you don't put the pieces together. Then that question I was asking, what do we call something that does X, Y, Z, and Q? It doesn't compute if you're not in the business of seeing how there is a pattern here. You know, like uh, prosecutors talk about a a pattern of conduct, you know, in which the particular thing the guy did, seen in the pattern of conduct, you can see what what it signifies. Well, the Republicans are daily showing a pattern of conduct. They have been for many years. And if you don't have the art in the business of seeing things whole, but just in terms of the concrete, the specific, the particular, the news of the day, you're not going to see that what we're engaged in now in the political realm is really quite reasonably understood as a battle between good and evil. Or if you don't like those words, there's other ways of putting it. Dr. Mo, uh, uh, Smook, I have a problem with your name. Smookler, I always kind of miss mispronounce it, but I'm sorry about that. Here's the deal. I think one of the reasons I really wanted to talk to you, right, is I in, in reading up some of your stuff or whatever, you get it. And what I mean is as follows. 
you you claim that a lot of people, a lot of liberals right now, they still think in this sort of a sphere. And it is, in effect, the elitist sphere. Uh, people don't like to use that word, but it's where they are heavy and deep thinkers. Well, you are a deep thinker. But the missing part is most people don't look at daily life with deep thought. They don't have to. It's about bread, butter, and how to survive that day. Republicans understood the simplicity of that, in my humble opinion, and use that against liberals. Progressives, on the other hand, in my humble opinion as well, they've adapted the same, the, the same theology, not, well, it's not theology, it's reality, of the thinking, the thinking liberal and expressed it in the form that, again, uh, helps the, the, the other man, helps the other person, the other woman. In other words, they broke it down into a form that does good value. We look at what progressive stands for. We look at what uh, uh, Doctor, uh, what uh, President Biden did with Build Back Better. He could connect the liberalism with what actually works. Now, I think when I early, when when I think you initially thought I was putting too much into the liberal who goes out there and uh, you know wants the status quo and believe in what I always call neoliberalism, the difference is that sect uses that as a division between the liberal and the progressives, which the, uh, the evil that you speak about in the Republican Party can take advantage of. And I think it, it, it's that complete picture that you speak about that too many don't see and that doesn't get out there. You listen to your entire narrative, your narrative, the ones that you put out there, it is understand the evil, something that liberals don't want to talk about because they are so above the, the, above the fray. And the progressives who understand what liberals stand for, but want to turn it into action. That is where I see, as far as the Democratic Party being liberal and progressive, why it is they have such a hard time getting things across to the people at large. Whereas the Republicans with a simple message doesn't have to be true, but it works. Well, like I said, there's room for a whole lot of things to be true. Um, you know, I've, I, I try to, you know, I try to get the whole picture, but I know the whole picture is way bigger uh, than anything I can, can, can get, you know, though I keep working at it. For me, the distinction that it seems important to you between the progressive side of the democratic world and the and the whatever you want to call the uh, the other the more moderate side. the liberal side, um, I I don't know how important that is in you know if we had uh, uh, a complete understanding how big of a thing that would be in my understanding it doesn't. It doesn't figure very prominently. Uh, you know, we all, um, we maybe that's because with, you see the big picture. It, well, I'd like to think that, but in any event, you, since you're interviewing me, you, you're pulling out of me what I've got to offer. So I'll, I'll continue to offer what I've got. Um, uh, what I've got is, uh, a sense that, um, Human consciousness is a uh, 
a profoundly malleable thing. You know, if you're in some New Guinea tribe uh, that believes in certain kinds of magical things, um, uh, that understands the natural processes in ways which have nothing much to do with the scientific uh, approach that has developed in in in, in uh, well, first in Western civilization. Now it's kind of global over the last 500 years since, uh, you know, Copernicus and, and, uh, Galileo and Newton and all those people. You know, you're, you're looking at the world and you're seeing something, uh, completely different from my college roommate who's a MD, PhD, who, uh, is in biochemistry and evolution and, you know, all that stuff. We can see a human being uh, comes into the world, uh, you and I are speaking in English. We could have been speaking in Mandarin Chinese if we'd been born someplace else. We're ready to be a lot of different things. So when I look at the, uh, the liberal consciousness of America, uh, having studied Franklin Delano Roosevelt's presidency and his life, uh, I've read probably a dozen biographies of the guy because I need to be inspired in these dark times by what I think a leader should look like. There was nothing in him, uh, though he had been a fairly mainstream kind of a guy, but he took the presidency at a time where big things needed to be tried. And like Biden, but maybe even more so when he when you have a president who in 1936 talking about the malefactors of great wealth says and i welcome their hatred you don't see that there's something in the liberal spirit that somehow shrinks from a fight but when you've got some when something like what we see now where Democrats continually get abused by Republicans, and yet you see them on TV talking about my friends across the aisle, when they seem to think that despite years and years of evidence to the contrary, they're still dealing with something normal. They haven't perceived that there's been a fundamental change. I mean, I was not happy with the presidency of Ronald Reagan or the first Bush, but they were still normal within. I mean, there's no way that they would have supported a coup d'etat. I mean, even before Trump became president, we had the grandchild of Barry Goldwater saying her grandfather would never have supported this party. So there was something in the consciousness of the people, most of the people that were elected Democrats that got in the way of perceiving reality, not because, not because they were attached to the status quo. They wanted to win. But the way they campaigned in 2010 in the midterms, abysmal. 
the main point of that moment was the Republicans were doing everything they could to make the president fail. There's no way that's defensible, but they ignored it. Same in 2014. They were doing, they were blocking everything Obama proposed. Obama had retreated into the White House. Nothing legislative could be achieved, just executive actions. He, he, he was like, like somebody who had been forced out of his lands and into the castle. But he never took it to the people and said, there is no way it is defensible for a political party to make the president's failure their priority rather than the nation's success their priority. And we've got that same issue now where everything that the Biden tried to achieve could have been achieved if the Republican Party had done what every one of the people up there on Mount Rushmore would have said is their obligation, which is to work with the people that the people with the leaders that the people have hired have given power to to work with them to accomplish what's best for the nation now why is it uh that the democrats have not taken the across the board obstruction and made out of it a club to beat the republican party over the head by exposing them as betrayers of the nation I don't think that the liberal progressive divide is the means of explaining that phenomenon. I understand that you don't see that. And, and, you know, we can agree to disagree there, but uh, when I, when I, when when I have to tell you that um, everything that you've said there, I agree with, but here's the interesting thing, uh, doctor, Um, everything that you want accomplished or we need to accomplish right now is I don't know if accomplishable is the right word, but all of that is accomplishable because we have all Democrats available to do it. But there is a divide within Democrats that prevent that reality from occurring. Build Back Better could occur tomorrow if we got two more Democrats to come on board. So what I'm saying is there is I'm saying that you are so right uh, where I where I would agree to disagree with you is that the reason that it doesn't occur is there a, is a sect within the Democratic Party that just won't see the big picture that you're talking about. OK, well, uh, let me let me engage with that, because I, your interpretation of there is a sect or a section or a sector. But I mean, first of all, you and I agree entirely. The Democrats in this exquisitely balanced Senate, where every single Democratic senator has veto power. I mean, yeah, if they had been all 50 Democrats, the Republicans couldn't have blocked it because they could have changed the filibuster. They could have passed Build Back Better as a reconciliation. So we agree that. Mansion and cinema killed it. They had the power to veto whatever, and they exercise it. Now, the question then becomes, where you and I would probably divide, why, why did they? And 
if I understood you correctly, your explanation is mansion and cinema represent a point of view. Um, contrary to the progressive point of view, I gather, though you didn't say it in those terms. You're absolutely um, right, though. Uh, that, um, but I don't, I don't see it that way. Uh, I mean, 48 Democrats were ready to do both of those things, kill the filibuster, pass Bill Back Better, 48. They were people who were just as, included people who were just as moderate as we went into the session imagining that uh, cinema and mansion were. I think that something much darker was going on. I don't think it's a point of view thing. I actually think that there was a, I mean, if, if you were a running a force of evil and you owned the Republican party and you saw how the Senate was uh, organized and how all you needed was a single defection and you could paralyze the, the Democratic Party. You could get stuff through the House, but you could block everything in the Senate. Between, between the inability to get all 50 Democrats on board and the resolute across-the-board obstructionism of the Republicans using their minority rule tactics with the filibuster, you could block everything. All you got to do is get a couple Democrats on board, and they sort of pass the ball back and forth. Mansion would kill X, Cinema would kill Y, you know. So I don't think that there's a matter of ideology or where you put people on a liberal to progressive spectrum involved here. Something much uglier going on. I don't believe it's belief. I, you know what? I, it's interesting that um, that I think all the these guys on the Democratic side pretty much have the the good belief that uh, th that they want to help people. I don't disagree with you there at all. I am saying that if you are willing to effect what you already define as evil, because that is what they've effected, they've effected evil on the American people by denying them Build Back Better and allowing what has gone on. And that is your description. That yeah. is, in fact, evil what they have allowed to foment. And, and you, you can say that, well, maybe there's something else happening under there. I mean, these guys... There, there are good people who would say, I will give up my political career to do what's right for 330 million Americans. And that would be rewarded. And everybody knows that would be rewarded, whether politically or otherwise. But it's a lot deeper than that. But, doctor, I could speak to you for hours. And since I don't intend to edit this program because you are so good in all interpretations that you've given me so far, I have one last question, and it's going to be a twofer. What would you have liked me to ask you that I didn't ask you? And give us a quick snapshot of a better human story. And let's close this baby out. Well, um, my reason for going into the uh, podcast world at this point is that I'm 76 years old. Uh, I'm in fine shape, but who knows for how long. I have seen something quite clearly about what's happened to the human species since we stepped onto the path of civilization, this is that thing that was back in 1970. And 
I've worked for the last half century to build upon this. And I think it's important to get it out. I think it's important because, well, let me put out two things that I think are um, conclusions that follow from what I believe that I have nearly proved. I mean, in sort of a, a mathematical kind of a way. Uh, it's not something which is easily easily absorbed. It's sort of like there are a half dozen to eight different steps, but each step is intelligible and I think kind of irrefutable. But they lead, if you take my picture of what happened, what are the forces that get unleashed when a species extricates itself from the niche in which it evolved biologically by inventing its own way of life, which is what our species started to do in a serious way 10 to 12,000 years ago. So I show that there's a force unleashed that people didn't choose, but it's a function of the system. And I, I would love to talk with you about this in detail, but you want to wrap this baby up. So I'll just say what I think I proved there leads to these two conclusions, both of which I think would have a beneficial impact on our chances of surviving as a human civilization in the generations and centuries to come. First way I put it is the ugliness we see in human history is not human nature writ large. In other words, I think I can prove that we are better creatures than we can see by looking at the record of our history of the last 10,000 years. I believe I can essentially prove it. I don't prove that we are wonderful creatures. I don't know quite how good we are, but I think I can prove that there are forces at work that condemned us to unfold in a destructive way. That is the building foundation of a lot of other ideas that follow. But the second way I have of putting it, which is sort of the same idea, but from a different angle, I say that any creature on any planet, anywhere on the cosmos, that takes that step onto the path of civilization, extricating itself from the niche in which it evolved biologically, and inventing its own way of life, and thereby, I'll just add parenthetically, creating anarchy, that any creature that takes that step will condemn itself to have to unfold a social evolutionary process as destructive and tormented as we human beings have done in the last 10,000 years. So that has beneficial effects in a couple of ways. You're probably aware that if a teacher believes that students are capable, they actually achieve more than if he thinks they're no good. But we live in a culture which for millennia have talked about original sin and the depravity of man. This is a picture that we have imbibed through the cultural stream. If we start to understand that we are not as bad as we thought, we will be more capable of creating that better world. 
And the second way we benefit from what I'm trying to provide by my writings and by coming onto a podcast like yours, sir, is it can clarify the nature of the challenges that we face. The fact that we embarked upon the path of civilization has from the beginning indicated that eventually we would either have to get our civilization better ordered or we would destroy ourselves. And I regard it as a toss-up right now, which one we will do. And my framework for understanding the human story is one which clarifies just what our situation is. Dr. Andrew Bard-Smukler, PhD, thank you so kindly for having been on Politics Done Right. And I want to warn our audience, you will see him again to discuss in full a better human story because he just got me and I wanted to continue for another hour to discuss what he was talking about. Thank you so kindly for having been on Politics Then Right. Well, it has been a pleasure. I have enjoyed your interviewing style and I feel like we got good wood on the ball. Thank you. Well, folks, I hope you enjoyed that. I really enjoyed that discussion. And we are actually going to have, I, I'm going to set up a series with him. He, he has a lot of things. He writes in several newspapers across the country, in magazines, etc. So I, I want to pick his brain. And he told me, yes, 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 I want you to, to do that. So we'll be working together on some other issues as well. So um, I hope you guys enjoyed that. Anyhow, let me do my ask before I go into the continuation of the program, my friends. Uh, I'm Igberto Willis, as host of Politics Done Right, a progressive radio media show on Pacifica Network's KPFT 90.1 FM Houston that engages all ideologies. I found that our political angst isn't mostly ideological. There is a well-designed effort by many in power to control us. If we are at each other's throats, we are less likely to demand our economic and local wishes. In that light, I wrote three books. I wrote the first one titled, As I See It, Class Warfare, the only resort to right-wing doom to describe the entire economy in a manner we can all understand. It highlights why it was designed to pill for most as it empowers a few, the chosen. The second book titled, It's Worth It, How to Talk to Your Right-Wing Relatives, Friends, and Neighbors, Take It to the Next Level. After understanding how the system pilfers, it is incumbent that we can speak to our peers to empower a change. The third book, How to Make America Utopia, Take Away the Economy from Those Who Rigged It, gives us a place to land. After learning about our economy that is dysfunctional for most and learning how to engage the other side, we point out what would make an economy that works for all. Each book stands on its own, but together they provide the full picture. Please consider getting one or more. You will undoubtedly learn, be entertained, and help us continue the mission with our blogs, articles, videos, and books. I'm Igberto Willis. As Thank you, guys. Please remember, you can get my books at politicsandright.com slash books. Whoops, wrong screen. Politicsandright.com slash books is where you get the books, and I'll pull that up on the screen in... One minute, but as I pull those things up, I want to I want to address Brother Rudnan. Rudnan, I saw as as I as I uh, played the interview, I did see some of the caustic uh, some of the caustic comments in there. I'm going to tell you guys a little story in a little bit. Let me just get ask you guys to please go ahead to politicsdoneright.com/books to uh, go ahead and uh, get our books. 
Alternatively, you can support us by going to politicsandright.com slash PayPal, politicsandright.com slash PayPal. We really need your support to keep what we're doing, doing. I, I have a whole array of different great interviews that I'm working on getting. And plus, you know, guy, I'm going to be coming to you guys with a GoFundMe for my trip to Pittsburgh in August because I'm going to be going out there to represent, um, again, politics done right at Net, Netroots Nation. And I hope those folks within 50 or 60 or 100 miles can come out and spend, spend a day uh, out there in, in Pittsburgh where we'll, you know, it puts you live interview and meet a whole lot of the big wheels out there. Uh, we're going to be out there having some fun. Anyway, um, uh, let, let me please go to, oh, I forgot to put this last one in. Go to politicsandright.com says support. I'm not going to mess with asking anymore today. Politicsandright.com says support. I want to talk to you guys. I know you, you see some of the messages inside of the feed, and I saw them. Some of them are caustic, and some even kind of insinuate violence, etc. I've been on several boards, and on these boards, uh, I have, you know what? Let me play Jen Psaki because I wanted to show you guys one piece first, how she handled a reporter, and then I'll tell you my story to end the program. Uh, because since I advertised it already, let, let's go ahead and listen to Jen Psaki. Alito Supreme Court brief says that Roe versus Wade is likely to be overturned. It seems like the dog has caught the car. And you know oh, what? Republicans one. are scared. They don't want now to talk about abortion. They just want to talk about the leak. The leak is illegal. You know who isn't going to allow that? Jen Psaki won't allow that. Check this out. I am, and you guys have criticized leaks before as it's been provided. So, Matt, you've criticized in the past. Why not criticize this leak? Again, because I think what is happening here and what we think is happening here is there is an effort to distract from what the actual issue here, yeah, which is the fundamental rights. I don't think they're at the same level. They're we don't not. think they're at the same level. So they're not at the same level, but would you agree that it's still worthy of condemnation? Well, look, I think there has been a call for an investigation by leaders of the Supreme Court. Decisions on that and how it will be pursued will be made by the Department of Justice and others. And that's certainly their space and, and right to, to make that decision in government. That's how government is set up. But at the same time, what we've also seen, Peter, is many Republicans who are trying to overturn a woman's fundamental rights try to make this about the leak. This is not about the leak. This is about women's health care and women having access to health care and making choices with their doctors. And we are not we are working not to not allow that to be the distraction. All right. That, I played that one instead of the one that I actually had laid out for today because of what Brother Fleming just announced, that, yeah, the, the bill failed. Now, I, I want to talk about two things today. First, let me, I was going to address uh, Rodnan first. Rodnan, hold on a minute. I want to talk to Bruce first. Bruce, I think his conclusion is the same as mine as Kurt Vonnegut, the human race is doomed. Uh, you'll see from uh, Brother uh, Andy that that is not his conclusion that we are doomed. His conclusion is we are doomed if we don't make a course correction. And that's why I am doing, that's what many people that are in the field that I'm doing, the folks who don't just want to polarize but want to be frank, but at the same time entertain, hug, and talk to everybody else, what we want to do. Um, what is that? Look, a few weeks ago, I put on a show where I said, and I actually I sent a tweet out, I think it was a couple days ago, where I said that we have a distinct failure in our character, all of us, or not all of us, many of us, that we have a tendency to follow psychopaths and allow psychopaths to dictate the way. In other words, 
we are, as he said, he's proven that most people are good. When we live collectively, it our goodness show, right? You get into an organization where all you're doing is giving and helping people. And you find that that is almost, an, a, it, it, it's such a good feeling that we're all in this together, we're communing together, and we work together. It's the natural state, right? But there are these psychopaths that kind of put an alternate form into this that, that plays to some of our carnalities, right? And if you play to some of our carnalities, temporarily like heroin would make you feel good, but every time you need a bigger shot of heroin to get the same high, individualism can give you a certain high by saying, I did it myself. I am all in what a word is, you know what I mean? I am potent. I can do things on my own. You know, there, there's a certain thing about us that want to feel great, that that makes us want to feel like there's nobody like us and that. And But that is not lasting, right? You still, you always need a bit more to feel great about yourself. In my cocky days, I would be like, ah, I'm, I'm bad, man. I invented this stuff here. Hey, when I was at NASA, I'm the one who did Tiffin for the space station, man. Hey, I'm bad. Till I realized, so what? So what? So what? Um, we have to re-engage our biology, and that's what some of the stuff that he was indicating there. We have to re-engage our biology to do right and allow it to let that communi that 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 collectiveness and working together come back to fruition. You know, ants do it. And a lot of other creatures do it, right? And if you take a look at a lot of uh, people in your, in your society who are out there working the food bank, working the clothes bank, all these things, these are people that don't have to be in control or loaded or whatever. They're not psychopaths. They're not psychopaths. But we have a tendency to follow psychopaths. And it's... One of the things I want to do is liberate us from, help us liberate ourselves from that, right? And then collectivism can come back into the fold. Now, going to to uh, Brother Rednin and, and the causticity that you saw with some folks in the in the field. I'm in, on several boards. And some of these boards can get very, very caustic, very caustic. And there was one particular board that I was on where they one one faction sued us. This was probably I don't know ten years ago or maybe five years ago. And there was a back and forth all on social media and everywhere, people fighting against each other. And I was mum, I was always mum. And the side that I know, the good side that I was on, the side that really wanted to do what we were intended to do, not self intending to do what i said was the following i said don't talk shut up and it took probably several weeks before people just had the courage to have people disparage them have people make have people destroy them on the internet have people say the worst things about them and just stay quiet and say nothing and let the evil dissipate. When I'm having a conversation, a positive conversation, 
not that we agree, but that we are conversing. I'll talk. I'll have fun. We'll, we'll converse. We'll have all these things. But when it gets to the point where you are just saying things about me and you want to encourage me to say things about you or others, it ain't going to happen. That's the old me who fell for the whom? The psychopaths. And I won't allow that. You know, I won't do that. So when you see me not address certain caustic behaviors, and some people would send me email and give me, they would line me with the worst set of words that you could ever imagine. And I always tell people, I go three iterations and then I'm over. I would get these emails that are ranking, nasty, dirty, destroying me, telling me every every negative word that you can think that you call somebody like me being called. My answer to these guys is, I hope you have a better day. And you'd be surprised how just stepping back sometimes. It's not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength. Not to, I mean, I'm not, like I told you, if somebody punches me, I'm punching them back. They slap me, I'm slapping them back. But I'm not going to get into a verbal diatribe with anybody on, you know, at all. And when, when when you move people into that spot where, the power of their empty words is powerless. That is where you actually get more communication. Hey, let me, I'm going to go over by one minute. Let me, let me, because I think I saw something from uh, June. June Littler says, thank you so much for that conversation. Looking forward to hearing more from him. I will have more of him. I'll Google him to catch up some more information. Carl Cox says, the Democrats who don't complain fight the right about uh, saying things that only the mega rich corporations deserve help are not progressives truly look i reply to the i reply to the leadership but when it comes to the individual people they are my partners they're the folks i care about so let's look at all the, the some of the things that daniel says some of the things that uh, c sex is others i am not going to let these guys believe that because they think i'm such evil or hate them or whatever that i don't think they're on my team because whether you guys like it or not, reality says you're on my team and we actually have the same enemies. The difference is I know that and you haven't yet gotten to that place. And I will not, I repeat, I will not allow you to pull us there. So my, my message to you all is folks, you, it, it's not about it's not about turning the other cheek. It's about being the better person and and actually applying where it needs to apply. Uh, let's see. Tom C says, Ah, you would eliminate our rights on the. Okay, I'm I'm not going to be able to get into these conversations right now because I have an, another interview coming up in about ten minutes that I got to go do now. I want to thank you guys so kindly for listening in and being a part of the program, doing all that we do. I want to ask you guys one more time uh, to support our program. Uh, again, if you if you can't in- encourage others to support it as well, Bruce, we are not doomed. Enough of us, you included, my brother, 
are actually the ones that are going to make this a better place. My name is Egberto Willis. This is Politics and Right. And you guys know how I end this, baby. I am what? Out. We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to, trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.